You're listening to a DM podcast. Unless you're like a big clout somebody, you need to plan and edit your show. Conversational shows that are edited sound tighter. They will flow better. They cut out a lot of, oh man, what are we saying again? Like stuff like that, that does nothing for the listener. When you do that, you show that you're valuing your listener's time. They're more likely to come back. Something we love about podcasts is the variety of voices that are out there who can give us insights into their own unique experiences, providing takes on the world that might otherwise go unheard. Today on Behind the Podcast, Anthony and I talk to Jay Uwe, the host of the Shoes Off podcast, a podcast all about the Asian-Australian experience. So I wanted to understand how this difference in names affects us. So I spoke to Professor of Chinese Studies Guo Yingjie from the University of Sydney about this. Can you tell me your experience, you know, coming to Australia and noticing the differences between how we use names here and how you use them in China? Well, people use names very casually here and it's friendly, it's, it's casual, it's, it's informal, which is good. That's what Australia is really about, right? And Australia is, is known for that. But it took me a long, long time to get used to, to the use of names, especially if I'm addressing my professor. There's no way I'm going to say Zhang. Just not respectful enough in a Chinese cultural context. Jay is an absolute perfectionist who takes great care in the content he creates and the production craft that goes into making it. Each episode covers a specific topic such as anglicising names, career expectations and what is Asia anyway. Jay was nominated for Smartest Show as well as the Best Interview at the 2020 Australian Podcast Awards. His two seasons of Shoes Off are an incredible achievement for someone with a full-time job. Jay, can you start by telling us a little bit about your show? Yeah, sure. So I write and produce a podcast called Shoes Off. It's a podcast that tackles topics and experiences straddling Asian and Western identities in Australia. So I really like this kind of middle ground where it's not just like Australian experiences and it's not just about, for example, the Hong Kong riots, which... I don't know how to localize that, so I'm not going to cover it. I like stuff that straddles both sort of identities. And it's because we don't talk about culture enough in Australia, at least I've found. So the goal is to, I guess, unify Asian Australians, people who maybe think their experiences are only their own, but they don't realize that there are lots of commonalities there. Um, also to educate Asian Australians on, on these things so that they can speak about them better in a more informed way. And I guess to hopefully, hopefully, change the way we view culture in Australia. Fingers crossed. Well, culture changes need to start somewhere, as do podcasts. Would you be able to tell us a bit about how you got your start? Yeah, sure. So, my background is in TV production, not in radio, weirdly. Uh, so, working in lots of entertainment shows, I guess that's kind of where I saw how quote-unquote stories come together, but in the TV format. So, I don't call myself a journalist. I was never trained as a journalist we made sort of entertainment and documentaries. I personally am just like a huge fan of podcasts. So back in the days when iPhones, not iPhones, sorry, iPods had click wheels. I was listening to podcasts. I was watching like game reviews that uh, IGN would let you download onto your iPod and I'd be listening to them on the train to university. So I've just been into podcasts for a really, really, really long time. The way I started this show is kind of a long story. (laughs) Uh, so growing up in Australia, I guess a lot of Asians have this feeling that 
they're not quite fully Australian, quote unquote, and they need to become more white to be Australian. And the Asian part of yourself isn't cool. It's sometimes explicit things, but it's usually just implicit things of being in Australia, I think. And so we become really shy about things. We become shy about, say, the weird lunch that we bring to school and we get teased for that, or speaking our mother tongue in public, or wearing clothes that have Asian writing on it, or being next to other Asians who are like, more recently arrived in Australia and now we feel this need to differentiate ourselves from them because we're like Australian and they're like Asian Asian. We're not fresh off the boat. Exactly. So we're like, we're not the phobia ones, they're the phobia ones. Um, it's this weird like distinguishing thing we have to do because we don't feel, we have to like prove our Australianness. Uh, but we don't talk about these things and we don't recognise that being Asian isn't accepted and normal in Australia as as the, the mainstream sort of culture. And so when we kind of suppress those parts of ourselves, we kind of internalize this quote-unquote racism. Like, we believe these things about ourselves. We believe that we're second-class citizens, et cetera, et cetera. So when I went overseas and I met other Asians in Western countries who didn't feel this way, like, they just embraced their Asianness in a way that I hadn't seen before. And they were so proud of it. They talked about it. They were really into Asian things and they weren't shy about it. And I was like, whoa, this is a bit different. You guys are, you guys are cool. Like how, how, why you guys, why do you guys love your Asianness so much? And I guess it was just a sign for me to go like, oh, I can embrace this and feel that it's cool and not feel that it's something I need to be ashamed of. And so I came back and I was like, started thinking about these things. I'm like, I need to do something about this. And with a background in TV, I was like, maybe a YouTube series. But then I thought about the sort of stories I wanted to tell. So episode one of season one is about names. Mm. Then I thought about a 20 minute YouTube video about names. And being from a TV background, I didn't want it to be just me talking to people for 20 minutes with a camera, just stationary, not doing anything. I wanted to make it kind of like a mini documentary. And so I thought about podcasts, which I already loved. And I was like, this is actually a way better medium because I get to tell many, many stories. People are going to be more open to sharing things, partly because like people get nervous enough when you stick a mic in front of them, but you stick a camera in front of them and they like freeze up even more. I've had people on the show who didn't want to be named. Like I've used a pseudonym for them uh, because, yeah, they don't want themselves to be publicized in what they're saying. So the podcast format worked better because it allowed people to, I guess, reveal things that they wouldn't have if it was a YouTube series. So, yeah, I just kind of was like, yeah, okay, let's do this. I, I have like a good bank of podcast knowledge of all these things I've listened to. I sort of pieced together what I wanted it to sound like and went with it. It's fantastic. It's interesting. There's more people we've spoken to who've come from a TV production background that's come from a radio production who yeah, are right. making great podcasts. Ah, interesting. Why do you think that is? That's a good question, and I don't know. I don't know if like radio is a thing that people are less interested in nowadays or if people maybe when I was going through university and maybe people going growing up now, they want to be more visually seen, and so they go into TV. They like that visual aspect. Um I don't, is radio still popular? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's been replaced by the podcast for sure. Yeah. I mean, we think so. I think one thing you know that we notice all the time is speaking to a variety of people is obviously the content that you can put out there is very much determined by the person who wants to host the podcast. There's no one stopping you from doing that. Did you feel like this was a good way to kind of tell your story and, and other stories like yours that might not be available otherwise? Yeah, totally. Um, when I was starting this podcast, I was like looking to see what else existed in this space. 
there were a couple of like US shows. In Australia, there was one ABC show that wasn't on anymore called It's Not a Race from Beverly Wang. Some of you might know who she is. She's great. The show is great, but it's not on anymore. Mm. <laughs> so there was no show really talking about race and no show, definitely no show talking about Asian Australian culture. So I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to get funding for this because I have no quote unquote podcast experience. Uh, I, I think I have the chops to make it myself. So, and I really want to share these stories. So, yeah, I'm just going to roll. I'm just going to do it myself. Well, you definitely know what you're doing. You've been nominated in the 2020 Australian Podcast Awards for Best Interview and surely the one that your mother's most proud of, Smartest <laughs> Podcast. Thank you. Yes, she is. They were both very happy when I told them. And I didn't actually tell them the day it was announced. I told them like two days later. And they're like, what? Why didn't you tell us? And I was like, sorry. How did your mom uh, receive the show when you first started talking about it? I think she's featured a couple of times in there. Yeah. So mom, I remember when I first interviewed her, it was quite funny because I was like, oh, I just want to chat to you about some things on my podcast. Stuck a mic in front of her. She, I don't think she knew what a podcast was. I'm still not 100% sure my parents really know what a podcast is. That's okay. Uh, so we chatted to her and I actually held a podcast launch party when season one first came out. And I played a clip from episode one that she's in and she heard her voice like in front of a room of like 80 people. And then she came up to me and she's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it was this sort of thing. Like I didn't realize it's going to be out in public. I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm like, is that a problem? She's like, no, 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 it's okay. But yeah, she, she's super chill. She was really lovely. So it was all fine. She but... didn't ask you to burn the tapes. No, <laughs> thankfully. It's because it's great tape. Like I really like that bit that she has in it. So um, I'm glad she was okay with it. Yeah. Absolutely. The part where, you, where you're discussing your name and, and you know, just her ambivalence i suppose to what you were going through at yeah. the time and just yeah you could have selected a name if you wanted to yeah <laughs> it just, just like oh this is wild this is something that you've lived with with such a for such a long time but it didn't even occur to her at one stage yeah and i found that really interesting because she was like oh this is just what we do and i'm like but that's not what i knew to do because you never told me this and like that wasn't even stage like honestly that was the first time she had told me um, and that's kind of why i love doing the podcast because i'm learning things about myself and particularly that episode like names Pretty much anyone with a non-English name has a story with about their name. And and I got so many people writing their stories of their name when that episode came out. So I think it's like a nice entry access point for the show. And so that you said that that was the first one that you, that you thought about. You release in seasons. Did you have a bit of an idea that, okay, I want to make this, you know, X amount of episodes and these are the topics I'd like to cover? Or, or how much time did you spend thinking about it before you kind of went down that path? Yeah, so I started just brainstorming a whole bunch of topics and then I just I started with interviews that were low-hanging fruit for me, so people I knew that I could get. And then as episodes started forming, then I really sought out specific people to finish those apps off. Uh, the way I kind of run is because the episodes take so long for me to make, I have like an endless list of topics, like honestly like 80 probably topics at the moment that are not anywhere near completion. And whichever ones kind of interest me, get a bit of traction, I roll with that. And as soon as I'm close to like eight episodes and I've just chosen eight arbitrarily, that's a season. And that's pretty much it. And you've got a full-time job? I do, yes. So how do you balance the podcast with the full-time job? How much time are you putting into it? How much time is an episode taking? <laughs> I get told that I'm very bad at balance. <laughs> so how long does an episode take? That's a really great question because it's hard to measure like... For me, it starts with the topic idea and the research, and that can take anywhere from like two to eight hours just to like 
oh, I sound really lame, but I love reading academic papers now. Like, it's just, I have find this weird joy in finding this topic and finding these papers and being like, oh, you guys have like really thought about this. Let me like dissect and understand what you've uncovered so I can maybe distill it and then ask these sorts of questions to other people. Uh, so that's kind of the weird nerdy part for me. And then it's finding interviewees, doing the interviews. Oh man, how long does this all take? I would say at least 40 hours an episode, but I don't 100% know. Yeah, you are doing the editing yourself. Yes. The music as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that stood out to me. There is quite a bit of audio going on there. You're building a complex audioscape, the vocal, but also the bedding track. Uh, was that a bit of a learning curve for you? Yeah, man. Like I remember the very first episode I edited was actually episode two of season one um, on Bubble Tea. And I deliberately started on an episode that was kind of lighter and I thought was easier because it was like my testing ground. Um I had never used this particular, I'm, I'm using Adobe Audition and I'd never used that software before. So it was like learning the software was one part. Then again, like learning microphones into that specific software is also different to like a portable field recorder, which I'd been using for other things. Um, and like I listened back to some of the season one apps. I'm like, oh, that music ramp was really bad. Like you should have done that better. But you learn, I've learned. Uh, I'm doing it better now. And it was just kind of, it sounds weird, but it's just what I thought sounded good. And I would just find tracks that I, that I thought suited the mood and try and like cut them to the length that I wanted and ramp them up and down in the places I wanted and hope that it sounded good. And where are you finding the tracks? So I'm using an online subscription called Soundstripe, which basically you pay an annual fee and you can download as many tracks as you want for your podcast. So that's what I'm doing. Oh, I've also, for the next season coming up, like I've had a composer reach out to me who's like willing to compose stuff for me for free. So I've used a lot of his tracks in season three. And I've also reached out to a lot of Asian artists for one particular episode to use their tracks for free as well. And they've all been like super supportive. I think they're all just like happy to see the sort of content out there. So they're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Go for it. So you use Adobe Audition to edit your podcast. Yeah. Was that because you're already familiar with the Adobe suite for your video work? Correct. And the worst part is that all the keyboard shortcuts are different. It is. It's just Adobe's gift to the world is we'll make it different on every single... Yeah, every single app has a different keyboard shortcut for stuff and it really annoys me because like the export shortcut, even just that simple thing is different in every platform. Anyway, love your products, Adobe, but <laughs> fix that, please. As long as control or delete is somewhat the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's nerd out for a second then. Let's just go through what your setup is. So you said you had a field microphone or field recording device. What's that? Yeah, so at the moment I'm using a Zoom H6 which, and then my field mic for my interviewees is a Rode NTG4. Then for myself, I have two mics when I do interviews. So one for them, one for me, instead of doing the back and forth. Just so we can like, like we're doing now, we can just sit and chat, but I can set this up hopefully anywhere. And it makes your edit easier with having different levels. Yeah. And then I just, it sits on like a gorilla pod. Like that's how dirty I am with the setup. <laughs> just sits on a table or like attach it to something, like hopefully pointed in the right direction. The audio is not always the best, but... Uh, it works for most of the time and I think most of the time it sounds good so happy with that and then at my desk at home I've got this same Rode boom arm that you have and a short SM7B on here with a not the cloud lifter the other pickup that works as well I can't remember what it's called but yeah that's my setup into an Audient ID14 
Okay, and in terms of how you push your podcast out into the world, are you on a Squarespace website? Are you pushing it out via an RSS feed or are you on one of the podcast platforms? Yeah, so I'm on Squarespace only because when I was doing freelance video production work, I was using Squarespace and I was just familiar, but I honestly don't know if it's the best. I actually don't think it is the best podcasting platform. It just happens it just happens to be the one I'm using and I'm on. Uh, I think there are way better hosting sites out there, but I guess it works for me because I have other content apart from just the RSS feed. So I have transcripts for every episode. Well, because the show's scripted, you have the whole transcript there and show notes as well. So it works for that purpose, I guess. Okay. And when you're interviewing guests, maybe run us through the process of how you're approaching people. Yeah. So if I don't know them, <laughs> it's uh, usually a cold email and I tried, I, I, I outline the show, I outline what I want to talk to them specifically about and I try to make it seem like, like I really need them for this episode to come together. So particularly with academics, like I've had a lot of trouble, but then more recently it's, I think, I, I think now that there are episodes out, it's much easier for them to be like, oh yeah, this is a real thing. Like, yeah, happy to do it. Um, and then the people I've interviewed had them been happy to put me in touch with other people. So that's gotten easier. Then I just kind of research the topic and try to see what they're interested in talking about as well. If I can, I get them on the phone beforehand to, I just get a sense of what their point of view is on the topic. So I can structure questions around that. Sometimes I'll say things already on like a pre-interview where that it's so interesting that I haven't heard from anyone else yet, which is great. So I can like write questions around that and roll in that direction. And then, yeah, sit with them for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half and chat it out, go down all the rabbit holes that they want to go down. And, and often that stuff that ends up in episodes because it's interesting stuff that I haven't discovered in my research. So you're just trusting the process. and Yeah. And then after that, getting transcripts, which I don't know if many shows do. I think this is just like my old TV days again. Like if you're writing... A, putting a documentary series together. You get a transcript of all your interviews so you can write the episode. So that's what I'm doing, getting transcripts, pulling out the interesting and important bits uh, and linking them together with my track voiceover. Are you using a transcription service? Yeah, I'm paying. I'm paying money. Oh. <laughs> it's costing me money, this podcast, <laughs> a lot of money. So I'm using rev.com. They cost $1.25 US a minute with time code, which I desperately need. So... Uh, or is it more now? Maybe it's a dollar fifty with time code. Anyway, it's still pretty decently priced. I know there are AI softwares that are out there that are pretty much free. I haven't actually tried them because I just find Rev really reliable. The interface is great, but maybe I should. Do you have recommendations? We have a few we use. Nothing we'd recommend. Um, <laughs> but if anyone else has got something out there, please hit us up because <laughs> it's definitely something we're looking for as well. Yeah. So. Uh, we touched on on names before. One thing we'd like to uncover is how you came about the name for your podcast. Was that a difficult one to land on? Is that a reference to the Asian habit of <laughs> taking shoes off before you go into the house? Bing, bing, bing. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it is a little reference to a lot of Asian co cultures and a lot of Asian people in Australia. They'll just know that when you enter a house, you take your shoes off and it's you don't need to ask. Like It's just like an automatic thing. So it is a little like inside nod to that. Um, I also like that it's kind of a thing you do when you're getting casual at someone's place, you take your shoes off. But to get to that name, oh man, I was like sifting through a whole bunch of names, running them by all these people and, and asking, them, asking them their opinions. And when I sort of stumbled on shoes off, I was like, 
Yeah. Yeah, this is it. This is the one because it's not so in your face. It doesn't restrict it to, like, for example, Chinese culture. It, it can expand further. Even if I'm dealing with cultures who don't take their shoes off in their houses, I don't think they're going to be offended or it's going to be weird to have them on a show called Shoes Off. Mm. Whereas if the show is called, like, um, I don't know, the Soy Sauce podcast, like, <laughs> then I'd feel a bit weirder having, I don't know, a Lebanese person on or something. Like, it's just... I, I want it to be more open to allow for or as many Asian cultures as I can. To finding Once you have the name, what do you do about the logo? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's a little bit of a story here. So there, there are these like online design sites that let you like pitch out to many designers and you pay when you choose the one. So I'd heard about them and I tried it and I hated everything they gave me. Like, I just like, mm, don't like any of this. And so I was like... Man, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> just did it myself. <laughs> Found a font I liked. Yeah. I'd had an idea for like the, sh- the feet being in the O position and having some sort of slippers there. And it just came together. Yeah. Did you have a brain's trust of people you bounced it off? I uh, did. I I wonder. That's a good question. I think I showed a couple of people and they're like, yep, that's good. The thing that did change was the color scheme. The first color scheme I just started on and and it was too late to change and then after season one i was like okay i don't I actually don't like this color scheme i'm gonna find one that works uh that that just is more pleasing to my eye really and now i found one that's like this teal is so nice i just like looking at this teal all the time so color colors makes a big difference to me personally <laughs> and then the imagery that you use on each of the releases does that take a little bit of time to pick an appropriate picture yeah i, I got a lot of shit for my social media from some friends um, because he's like, you're just using like, like corporate stock images for your episode images. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what else to use. Like, tell me what I should use. So they're not, it's not my strong point really is Instagram and Facebook is not my strong point. What I did make were, um, quote animations for every episode, which I made in After Effects. Um, cause I think a lot of podcasts, they pull a snippet and I did this for season one. You pull a snippet out and you have like an audiogram of that and that plays for like 40 seconds. And I was like, I don't know if people listen to 40 seconds. I'm just going to create like a 10 second thing. That's an animated quote. So people will stay and watch and you don't need to like read a subtitle. It's like, it's an interesting, I don't know what the name of these things are animated. I, I call them animated texts. We'll run with that. that thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what, what the podcasting yeah. community will be calling them from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was kind of fun for me as well because I'm not that proficient in After Effects and I wanted to learn a bit more. And so that was a way to like, how do I do this? Look it up. Okay, that's how I do this and started doing them. And you yeah. found that's worked for you? I like them <laughs> is, is the answer I'll give. I don't know if they are the, the best, but I like them and a few people have written in and said they really like them. So I think they're good. They look good. Thanks. I like them. I might, <laughs> we might do one for this show. Uh, when you started out, what was your target audience? What did you in mind? Who were you writing this for? Yeah, I was writing this specifically for Asian Australians who mainly ones who grew up in Australia. Like it was a very clear target audience in mind. I knew I wasn't going to speak to all of Australia because that's too broad, too hard. Um, it was going to be people in their probably late 20s, let's be honest, late 20s, early 30s, who ha- are now kind of reconciling their culture and identity growing up in Australia, who I guess grew up through Pauline Hanson, let's be honest, and and kind of went through a period where there was this fear of Asians. Yeah, that's that's my target audience, people who grew up with Pauline Hanson. And has that turned out to be your actual audience? I think so. So 
the very little analytics that I look at, uh, definitely Australia is my biggest market. I'm not, I, I'm assuming most of the people, I mean, most of the followers I have on Instagram and Facebook are Asian Australians. I do get some from the US uh, and the UK and some of my cousins. I'm assuming they're my cousins because I get listeners from Malaysia. I'm like, who are you? Like, how did you find out about this show? You must be my cousins. Yeah. As an extension to that, I guess people who are just generally interested in culture and identity in Australia. So I've gotten, obviously, obviously not all of my audience is Asian Australian, but yeah, it is a big chunk. You tackle the misrepresentation or underrepresentation of the Asian community in Australian history, and you're talking to academics about this part of our culture that's so often swept under the rug. What was it like getting that point of view? I mean, that was a huge learning experience for me because I knew bits about our history, but I didn't know the extent of it, I think. So that was really interesting to hear, like essentially weird, but it feels it was very cathartic hearing white historians talking about these things and recognizing like how big a problem it was and still is. Um, I remember coming off some of those interviews with uh, two of those historians and just like feeling quite emotional just about the things that they had spoken about when it comes to history. Because I just don't think I'd heard white people recognize it before. Uh, so that was really nice. And I guess um, part of the point of the podcast is instead of instead of having... This is very generic what I'm going to talk about. But in general in Australia, when we think of like the average ordinary Australian, it's a white person. And so to be able to have a show that doesn't center around quote unquote whiteness... It was really, it was really nice to hear these stories from people who aren't the, I don't, I hate normal. Normal's not a great word. The the stereotypical Australian, I guess. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the the topics that you want to talk about on the show, do you think about having a balance between historical things and and you know things that might have, well, we've been suppressed or or something like that, versus empowering and and really like sort of lifting some areas or people yeah definitely i hate i don't want the show to be a show that is all about how um oppressed and shafted asians are in australia like i find that a really negative message and it doesn't advance the story it just kind of allows people to whinge and moan so every episode i have to have something practical in it like i just can't do an episode that is about it's just a big winch because it's not constructive it doesn't build us up it doesn't help people then go and do something about it it's just a winch fest um so yeah i i love history episodes unfortunately no huge ones in the coming season um but i also love episodes that are just kind of lighter and talk to something very specifically asian like tutoring or kung fu like things that that i'm not saying that they're not as important, but they're things that I guess we can feel proud about or just try and understand more about as Asians instead of feeling like it's an oppression of us. Yeah. Yes. They're like cultural touch points. Yeah. Uh, my mother's Chinese mainland um, heritage, my wife's Southeast Asian. We were listening to your podcast and just moments where we were both just laughing, just going, yes, spot on, exactly the experience and other things we're just proud of. Yeah. Really, really great work. So episode two of season two, you did an episode with Shona Yang. Yes. You gave her the keys for this episode. You yeah. let her produce it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fantastic in terms of giving someone else a platform, building skills, capacity for other people. But I mean, how did that feel? How did that come about? So, oh, that's a great question. 
I might remember this incorrectly, but I think I met Shona at my launch party. She works for a publication called Moonrise. So I invited people from various, I guess, Asian diasporic publications to come. She came along, we met. I guess from there, I'd always pitch the ideas of like, if you have any stories, like come to me if you want to tell a story, like I'm keen to collaborate and work on stuff. And so she wrote this piece for SBS on Saving Face. And I thought, yeah, let's turn this into a podcast episode. Like this is really interesting content. You've already actually done the interviews, to be honest. Like you've done most of the work. We just need to write now. And so she's a kind of a writer by trade. So she has the skills. It was actually a very easy process of showing her what a script looks like, telling her my process, and then just going back and forth for a couple of weeks on the script to say like, yeah, this is good. Or I think there's, you need this here or um, have another uh, personal story here. And it came together really, really nicely, I think. But for me, I don't actually always want to be the face of the show. Like the more I can get other people to tell their stories, to produce their own episodes, I think the better. That'd be like bloody brilliant to have so many other Asians passionate about telling their stories and that they want to come and work with me and they want to produce something really cool uh, because they're having perspectives that I don't have. The story that Shona wrote, I would not have covered. I just didn't, it wasn't on my mind. It wasn't something I was thinking about. I hadn't put all the work in. So her as a, a different person has a different perspective. She's also Korean Australian. So there's a whole other element of saving face that's part of Korean culture that's, again, different from my experience growing up as Malaysian Chinese in Australia. So um, yeah, the more collaborations, the better. There's more coming in season three. Do you want to tell us a bit about the episode swaps? Oh yeah, so so I did a couple of episode swaps um, just, I guess, as cross-pollination with some other podcasts that I think are really cool. So one of them is an Australian one called Lemon Podcast. They're way more topical than I am because they are like weekly and they, they talk about what Asian millennials are talking about, like beauty and K-pop, like uh, Mulan or even like the Melbourne lockdown because they're based in Melbourne. So they're really, really cool guys. Um, and then the other podcast was an American one called Rock the Boat where they do interviews with Asian Americans who are quote unquote rocking the boat. And so I reached out to, to them and yeah, she was super keen. Um, but yeah, coming in season three, I've got three episodes that I'm kind of co-hosting with someone else. So they've actually put in most of the work, let's be honest. Fantastic. So that's the format going forward. I mean, was it tough for you to give up the reins? No, no. I, I, and I don't know if this is because of my personality where I don't want to be the quote unquote personality or face of the show. Producer's mentality. Yeah, it is. It is honestly that I want to be someone that. Uh, enables other people to tell their stories. So no, it's the it's the best thing for me to be able to ha- hand the reins to someone else. So often it's actually more work, but to me it's totally worth it if other people have their voice out there. The umbrella sort of Asian term is obviously discussed quite early on as well. And you yourself in, in podcasts have said maybe more Chinese tilt, certainly in the earlier episodes. Was that a big part of your desire to get other voices on there to fully represent Inverted commas, Asia. Yes. Yes, please. If you're from a country in Asia and I haven't covered your country before, like I'm not doing it on purpose. I haven't discovered your story yet. So please come to me. Tell me what's interesting. Tell me what's um, unique about your cultural experience. But um, I think it's part of, I guess, the rhetoric of uh, Australia and uh, our proximity to Southeast Asia and East Asia uh, and the I guess also the bigger migrant populations in Australia are from 
a lot of them are from China. And so there's this automatic association of Asia with China, which is helpful and also very unhelpful as well, because Asia is very big and diverse. China is also very big and diverse, um, but we have these big umbrella terms. Doing that episode at the end of season one, looking at the history of the term Asia and the continent Asia, it made me very hyper aware of how I use the term now. And I try to qualify more so now. So I'll say things like lots of Asian cultures or many Asian cultures, but I won't say this is Asian culture because it's not very helpful. <laughs> You've been nominated for in the Australian Podcast Awards for Best Interview. And that was for an episode with uh, Diana Nguyen. Uh, it's uh, season one, episode three. Can you give us some tips and techniques on how to be one of the best interviewers in Australia? It's really funny because I actually don't think I'm the best interviewer. Um, I just think I'm a good writer and editor. I think that's where my skill set lies. Um, if you played through that tape without edits, it would not win best interview. It just wouldn't. It's bit choppy. Um, I mean, she still says all those amazing things, but it's not a nice coherent story that it ended up. Uh, I guess my biggest tip is preparation and research. That's what really helped me with her. I watched all of her stuff. Um, I I just just looked at all her posts on LinkedIn because she was really she was doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and saw the sort of content she was putting out. And then I I think yeah, and then I read some of her interviews as well. So I had a sense of what other people had talked to her about, and I had an idea of what I wanted to talk to her about that was maybe a bit different to that. So those would be my tips. But again, I really don't think I'm the best interviewer. Do you find differences when you speak to someone like Diana, who's an entertainer or a comedian versus an academic? Yeah, I I guess particularly for the Diana episode, because it was kind of about her, it was a very personal episode. But when I'm talking to an academic, they're talking about their work and they're not always talking about their personal life. So it is actually quite different um, when Diana... Like, this is just big props to Diana for being so open to someone that she literally met the night before. Um, and she just revealed all these things about her life. And I was like, this is like really amazing tape that I can turn into something really cool. So I think she she's just a, a good talent, to be fair. Uh, and that really helped. She was an open open book, which is great. And how much were you adding in terms of post-production? Yeah, so that interview was, I think, just over an hour. And the final piece is 20-something minutes, I think, with with then bits that I've added of my voice. So there's a decent amount that I've added just in terms of, I guess, looking at the transcript, reading through and being like, okay, what are, what's like a big thread that's going to draw all of this together? So she had just released her web series, Fee and Me, um, on a Vietnamese Australian family, and it's really it's really great. And I knew we had to talk about it, but I needed to get there first. And so I kind of just drew the thread of the her growing up with her mom and um, in the Pauline Hanson era and denouncing her culture, but then embracing it again with comedy, which turned into Fear and Me. Um, so that was a common thread. We talked about other things like being, for example, an actress in Australia that didn't make it into the episode because it didn't fit within the narrative structure of what I was trying to make. Um, so, yeah, there was there was a bit of writing. <laughs> I like at the end of the episodes, you, you'd sort of leave a bit of uh, audio in there of the of the interview or whatever. I mean, is that something you thought about 
much before or was it just like I've got this little thing that I would like <laughs> to be in it but it doesn't necessarily fit so let's just pop that at the end there is definitely a sense of that like there's always some good bit of tape that didn't fit into the narrative structure of the episode and so I chuck it at the end but no this is like I pull so much inspiration from many 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 podcasts and a lot of them have this like post credits kind of a, something uh, it could be a grab from an interview it could just be like poking fun at something or uh, a weird voiceover but I was like I, I'm gonna follow in the vein and stick something that I think is really interesting but didn't fit in yeah a moment of zen yeah <laughs> has COVID and the lockdown meant that you've had to change your process yeah so I did a few more over the internet than I would have liked which meant the audio, which meant the audio quality wasn't as good as I would have liked um, that's probably the biggest difference. The The other positive difference was I had more time at home to like research and write and read transcripts and read academic papers. So <laughs> it wasn't all bad, to be honest. And then as, as people started, I mean, as cases started going down and people were a little more open to meeting in person, then we actually had more time because a lot of us were actually working from home at the time. So I was like, yeah, just come over and we can do this at like 5.30 which I wouldn't have been able to do if I was in the office. So yeah. some positives too. Very good. And how were you recording online? So I was using Zoom so I could see them and I, I always like to see them. And then I record on Zoom, but I also actually get them to record offline on their phones because that audio is always better than the computer audio. And if they have a mic, I ask them to use a mic, but most people don't. So that's mm. how I've rolled at the moment. Do you have an episode you're most proud of? You know, season one, ep one is still probably my favorite. It's it. I don't sound the same now than I did back then because my delivery has, I hopefully gotten better. <laughs> but I think because it's personal, and because it's relatable to a lot of people, um, and because I genuinely learned something from it, and my mom's in the episode. Like, there's just so many positives, right? Uh, and. And it actually helped me come to terms with my name and myself. And so I think it holds a special place for me because of that. One of the other things we also like to do is just talk about other podcasts that you're into. So you've said that you're an absolute podcast diehard. Yes. Are there any in particular that you'd like to shout out? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> so the grandfather of podcasts I can't not mention, This American Life, is fantastic. It's what I want to do more stories in the vein of. There's one coming up this season that's a bit more like that I'm not going to say it's at that level but they're just phenomenal storytelling timing music writing delivery like everything is great on that show so if you like well-told stories definitely listen to This American Life Reply All from Gimlet those two guys have great chemistry firstly I love that they can tease each other but I think listeners probably don't know even shows that sound unscripted like that there's so much scripting involved, there's so much preparation involved, and they're masters at that. So they're amazing. Business Wars from Wondery. Do you guys listen to it? Yes. I saw some nods. Yes. Uh, they're just fantastic at distilling a long historical battle between two companies down into like four episodes. Just classic like rivalries that you know exist, but you don't know the history of them, and they do a wonderful job of telling that story. Um, the, the one really interesting thing I love about their show is that it's all voiced by the one guy, which means that you can translate the podcast really easily. Yeah, so they're fantastic. Uh, if I just feel like I've struck an aha moment for you. Blown mind. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is. I had no idea. Yeah. Never considered that. There's a show from Vox called Switched on Pop where they um, basically dissect pop chart history and pop chart songs. There are a few shows that 
analyze music like um, Rishikesh Hirway's, um Song Exploder, which is now a Netflix series. Like, how cool is that? That a podcast series is now a Netflix show and they interview like these really big names. Anyway, so Song Exploder is great too. Switched On Pop is also amazing. They're both like in the music industry. Anyway, so they're really smart. They can talk about like the musical techniques that are used in all the songs and why they're catchy and and what other songs they're referencing. So Switch and Pop is amazing. I should also list some Aussie podcasts. We do have good ones. So Lemon, I've already mentioned. Um, the other one that I was nominated alongside and I only started listening to because I found out about them through the nomination is In My Country. And so they're telling refugee stories. And I think this is super important um, because we have this particular rhetoric around re- refugees in Australia, which isn't necessarily the best and to be able to humanize these people and to hopefully show the the lives that these of these people the things they've gone through but to also show that they're australian to try and change that narrative that these people are stealing our resources i think it's really important so they're doing really great work so props to them that's some great recommendations we'll put them all in the show notes any advice for someone starting a podcast oh yeah lots (laughs) so okay the first thing that i would say is do you listen to podcasts um i i've been on a few calls with new podcast startups and i don't i'm not going to name names um i was on one where i was like oh so just listen to it and and listen to shows and sort of see what you like and one of them said oh i don't really listen to podcasts and in my head i'm like "Mm, if you're going to write a book but you don't read books you're not going to make a very good writer. If you want to make a TV show, but you don't watch TV, you're not going to make very good TV shows. So if you want to make a podcast, I think you need to listen to podcasts. I think it, it sounds really dumb, but I think it's very fundamental. So you know what's out there, you know what style you like, uh, and you know what sort of style of show you want to make. Secondly, I think you need to know your why. Um, and it could be as simple as, I want to build up my professional profile. Great. Now you know your why, it's going to affect so many things. Now you actually don't need a huge amount of listeners because it already looks good that you just have a podcast. Now you know how, what your promotion strategy is going to be. You're going to chuck your face up on everything because the show is for your professional profile. Like that is very key. Your why, I think, determines so many other things after that. Um, it determines not just how you promote the show, how much even time and effort you put into your show. So if it's literally for your profession, if you just want to get connected to other people through a platform of having a podcast, which is totally legitimate, you're allowed to do that. You don't need to spend a lot of time editing. And then you also don't need to care who listens to it because you can just, you just want to tell people that you have a podcast. It's a great networking tool. I'm like, it's, it's totally legit, but that's important. Thirdly, know your niche. There are some great resources actually on NPR's website that help you discover all these things but you need to talk to a specific audience and i've seen a lot of podcasts out there that say we are i'm writing out a lot of asian podcasts because that's who i'm following that's who follow me there's a lot of asian podcasts and it's totally fine they have listeners um but i just find it's a scattergun approach when they say we are talking about life work travel and everything in between well what is your podcast I, i actually don't know what your podcast is from that i might come in and out on episodes that maybe interest me. But if you want people to come back for every episode, you kind of need to have a niche. Next, if you want your podcast to be good, I think planning and editing are super important. Even if your show is conversational, every great conversational show, except for maybe Joe Rogan, Michelle Obama shows, unless you're like a big clout somebody, you need to plan and edit your show. Conversational shows that are edited sound tighter. 
they will flow better. They cut out a lot of, oh man, what are we saying again? Like stuff like that, that does nothing for the listener. When you do that, you show that you're valuing your listener's time. They're more likely to come back. And the last thing I would say is, would you listen to your own show? So if you're putting out a show that you're not going to listen to, why do you expect other people to listen to your show? (laughs) Is the simple way I'll put it. Um, Just because there is so much content out there at the moment and so many people have started podcasts during lockdown that if you don't value your listeners' time, they're not going to come back. There's no reason for them to come back when there's too much content for people to consume already. Jay, that's fantastic advice for anyone out there. Gimlet, come hire me. Thank you, Jay, for taking the time to sit with us at Behind the Podcast to talk about Shoes Off. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Links to all the equipment Jay mentions, plus his podcast recommendations, are in the show notes. This is a partnership between the Australian Podcast Awards and DM Podcasts. Head to the Australian Podcast Awards website to see all of this year's winners. 